Hi, listener. This is from Ideology to Unity, a spiritual journey where we let go of ideological doctrine and ego in favor of meaning, purpose, and unity as a whole. So I'm I'm reading A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, and I've just sort of had a mini eureka sort of moment here. But what I'm about to say, um, I'm going to preface it by um, with something. Now, I might have talked about this a bit in a, another brief short video that I, um, I did, which was which was about the um, what it was about, what I said was relating to what Eckhart Tolle said in this book was we start off with our, when we're toddlers or children, we're conditioned by our parents into an identity. We've got a name and we identify that with ourselves. And then we identify the word I as relate, as referring to that identity, who we are, right? And then we, I, then we learn to identify mine, my, mine, X. So that if there's a particular object, like a toy, we identify that as ourselves uh, or an extension of ourselves. And that's why, like, if someone takes our toy, we feel like we've lost something and we get angry, upset or something, right? Or cry, which would be sadness, I suppose. Um, so there's that. that. That's kind of the uh, the context to it. And then from there, we might identify with being in a certain group or certain activities uh, or even certain achievements. And we lay claim, we lay claim to more and more and more. And the more we lay claim to, the more of our, the more we feel that we are, in a sense, and what puffs up our ego, and the more safe and secure we feel we are. Because Okay, what I'm doing here is I'm actually bringing in some of the, um, what I've learned from um, Mastering the Mind course by Aaron Abke, uh that I'm doing. But I'll bring that into it. So there's, the idea with the ego is that the more identities that we have, the more we, um, so the more identities that we have, the more we feel our social status increases and thus our safety in a social society where social status is important for your security matters. I mean, if there's a tribe and you lose reputation in that tribe, or even, you know, let's say it's cavemen or something, you know, like that makes a huge difference to your life, huge, right? That fundamental programming still exists. And so like we're trying to survive in a tribal social setting. It's that's the programming, right? And so, but the thing is what Eckhart Tolle has been talking about just on the page before, because I'm looking at page 49 here, but the page before is 48. Well, you'd expect that, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's talking about, I'll see what I'll start there. I'll start there. So the thought forms of me and mine of more than of i want i need i must have and of not enough pertain to the content but to this pertain not to the content but to the structure of the ego the content is interchangeable as long as you don't recognize these those thought forms within yourself 
As long as they remain unconscious, you will believe in what they say. You will be condemned to acting out those unconscious thoughts, condemned to seeking and not finding. Because when those thought forms operate, no possession, place, person or condition will ever satisfy you. No content will satisfy you as long as the egoic structure remains in place. No matter what you have or get, you won't be happy. You will always be looking for something else that promises greater fulfillment, that promises to make your incomplete sense of self complete and feel that lack you feel within. And perhaps I could have started a little bit earlier because um, there's some context here that I could bring. So I, I, I'll, do, I'll do it differently from normal because I'm going backwards slightly. So um, yeah, I'll go back a couple of pages more. So the ego identifies with having. But its satisfaction in having is a relatively shallow and short-lived one. Concealed within it remains a deep-seated sense of dissatisfaction, of incompleteness, of not enough. I don't have enough yet, which, by which the ego really means I am not enough yet. So it's a negative self-belief of not being enough, which is a very common negative self-belief. And it, I, I think it's fundamentally core to an egoic identity that we develop as a child there are other negative self-beliefs that can spring forth but I, I suspect that this is one of the more primary ones um because limitation is fundamental to an egoic identity in the first place um and the ego always wants more as we have seen having the concept of ownership is a fiction created by the ego to give itself solidity and permanency and make itself stand out make itself special and that okay, that's interesting implications on politics because well, but not it's not about taking a side, but it's interesting. Now, for example, libertarians are very big on the whole property thing. And generally you could say that the right, so to speak, uh is very concerned with that. And um obviously I'm not saying people shouldn't be allowed to have like um their own their, their own land and their own area or at least when i say their own i mean that they use and have uh personally um although i imagine in 5d i don't see people as necessarily wanting that as much um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't think anyone would be stopped from it. Like people would naturally ask for consent from each other and for everything, I guess, so, you know, everything would be, mutually, um, arranged, um, with free will and consent. Right. So the um no one would be prevented from having a house that if they wanted a house that they lived in just themselves um if they really if that was really important to them um or if they had the house that just they just live in with their with their children let's say you know that that would be that, that, that there's no reason why people would be like, no, you can't have that. 
because and I suppose that's a difference between the um the collectivism, the materialist collectivism of the radical left, so to speak, because these are the labels, say communism, um, as it's known, and um the collective aspect of life in 5D, which will be fundamentally consensual. Now, a communist might respond by saying, well, it violates free will and consent for there to be anyone having their own land that they have for themselves or their own house or whatever, because it fundamentally forces other people not to be able to access it. And then, you know, a libertarian or something would respond by saying, but if you can't access it yourself, if you're not allowed to have this thing for yourself, then you're forced not to do that. And that violates your consent. And then there would be a big argument over that. And that's actually something you often get uh, between those two groups, which are ultimately arbitrary labels anyway. But yeah, um, it's kind of a tangent, what I'm saying here. But I feel like the ego is related to the desire to um the ego is related to this insatiable desire for more including more property and more goods more but also more status like it's all it's all connected together that doesn't mean people shouldn't be allowed to do it it's just that people who are more aware of that won't be insatiably chasing it in fact the greed thing that the left push this idea that um, you know, with the problem with capitalism or corporations or what have you is greed uh, and inequality that comes from that. Well, I suppose I always scoffed at that back in before I was into spirituality. Like I was like, well, there's a lot more to it than simply greed. You can't simplify it, right? But then now I consider it and this insatiable desire for more is inherent to the ego. Greed is inherent to the ego. Uh, but interestingly, the radical left has identified greed as a problem or not identifying the greed in themselves, right? Because um, in a sense, this, there's this whole, firstly, the ego always has a desire for more and they may even desire to have what they feel that they are not given access to like they may feel that the rich have access to all these material possessions that they don't have and that that is fundamentally something that they are deprived of because of that they see it in a zero-sum game perhaps where some people having more means that other people have less and they feel a sort of a threat to their sense of ego by there being uh, differences in what is possessed materially. Um, and th this is, of course, the result of one aspect. One aspect of this is that if everyone focusing on the material, which tends to happen in a, an ego-centered society, which is any society in uh in a third density, I suppose, well, not necessarily, but that's how it's been on Earth for a while. So 
every aspect of the political spectrum or whatever, right, is, has been influenced by the ego. And they're almost like, there's this idea in the, um, the Kabbalah, actually, the, the tree of life. And then these different areas that represent, represent different, I think it's about different aspects of the psyche and different aspects of action. It's, um, I don't actually know that much about it, but, um, but the, um, then there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And first of all, that's dualistic because good and evil and dualism isn't unity based. So duality isn't, isn't about unity, whereas love is actually a unity focused thing um, in truth. And love is, an unconditional love is what awakening is about. There's a unification to unconditional love, which is what is acquired or involved in the opening of the heart chakra, which is involved in awakening to the fifth dimension or fourth density. So um, any, there's always a sense of there must be more, we must get more material possessions or more social status or more of this, that, or the other. When it comes to politics, now this just takes different forms, right? The, the economic right seems to embrace the, the greed aspect and to embrace the getting more abundance and working hard and then earning more, no, actually, no, it's not real abundance, but working hard, even if you don't enjoy what you're doing and getting more material possessions and gaining happiness from that, which you don't really ultimately get because you're not really getting inner peace and presence. Uh, you're chasing and chasing and chasing. Oh, and then eventually you retire. <laughs> And then you're still not really happy, something's missing. And then maybe you realize that you've been wasting your time your whole life on your deathbed, you know? And that's a good life, according to that version of things. The, the economic right, the way the economic right might present it. The problem with the economic left is that they're like, okay, the problem is that there's all this inequality, but we can have more of, we can have what we're unfairly taken, what we, they identify a la as lacking and not good enough and that they will be good enough if only we abolish the system. If only they don't see their sense of not being good enough and their sense of not having enough as internal to them, they're seeing it as they're externalizing it or projecting it onto the system or others as the cause of their um feeling of inadequacy and that feeling of inadequacy in truth though is based on the ego right um and then there's identity politics and what that comes down to whether it's so to speak far right uh identity politics or whether it's um about identity politics about certain supposed victim groups or what have you, um, what it involves is a grasping of more and more identities of which on one hand, one is a victim, but on the other hand, there's this whole focus on those who have privilege based on which group they're in, or of lowest, effectively, um, 
unfairly benefit and thus need to be given and thus the priority needs to be on helping and giving to those whether it's materially or so or in other respects socially respect or what have you dignity whatever to those who are deemed to be lacking to correct their lack while others are deemed to be having too much but simultaneously lacking ethically for that and it's this whole sense of not they're not being good enough then getting more whether it's identities or wealth or what have you so and with authoritarianism let's say which is an oversimplified there's this idea of that if we have control and we have security and if things are if people if we focus on keeping people safe and providing what people want the basic needs and keeping the streets safe etc and keeping control of the of what might feel disgusting you might not if you feel disgusting you might feel like you're um it's not enough if the you might feel that your safety is threatened by something being unclean and you might need to feel like it needs to be cleaned up to for you to be safe and that's safe feel safe and that might be actually that might actually involve like <laughs> prejudice in certain cases or it might simply be about cleaning up the streets literally right and so with authoritarianism there's a desire for control and a desire for safety uh, and that there's this you will get that the idea that you get that if you have authority over others or if others have authority over you this and this relates i'd say perhaps to the drama triangle where uh, people like to feel they're a victim and those in with power will keep them safe or that they can have power over others and feel safe. And feeling safe is fundamentally something egoic. But yeah, so um, I'll carry on reading because I was getting to something. So... Since you cannot find yourself through having, however, there is a more powerful drive underneath it that pertains to the structure of the ego, the need for more, which we could call wanting, which we could also call wanting. No ego can last for long without the need for more. Therefore, wanting keeps the ego alive much more than having. The ego wants to, the ego wants to want more than it wants to have. And so the shallow satisfaction of having is always replaced by more wanting. This is the psychological need for more, that is to say, more things to identify with. It is an addictive need, not an authentic one. And we see this with people who, uh, they keep going for more and more possessions, right? And if they earn more, they'll just go for more expensive possessions. And these might give them a sense of social status, and they might also just, they just might feel good from having it until it wears off and they need to get that feeling again. So that's what he's talking about. And, you know, it's the same thing when it comes to drugs, really, or even the feeling you get from watching YouTube videos or playing a game, like not inherently, but it depends what your relationship is with it. Um, 
but it's very often the case that it's like that because the ego is insatiable um and really you need to be aware of that until the point that you can i guess go through the process of what people call ego death and that's something that's often very misunderstood and it's not like just kill your ego literally uh it's more like uh actually i won't go into that right now because that's just not what i'm talking about here uh i could go do that in another episode so in some cases the psychological need for more or the feeling of not enough that is so characteristic of the ego becomes transferred to the physical level and so turns into insatiable hunger the suburbs of bulimia will often make themselves vomit so they continue eating and i'll skip a bit but yeah, some egos know what they want and pursue their aim with grim and ruthless determination. Genghis Khan, Stalin, Hitler, just to give a, just to give a few larger-than-life examples. The energy behind their wanting, however, creates an opposing energy of equal intensity that in the end leads to their downfall. In the meantime, they make themselves and many others unhappy. Or the larger-than-life examples created on Earth. So it's also worth noting that I mean, those who take a self-serving path, they don't, they're not really happy. Um, I mean, I mean, even if it's, they're getting, I mean, there are some people, especially in the occult, dark, the dark aspects of the occult, like, in an almost vampiric sense will, you know, um, hurt other people and get a sort of, energy from that in a sense and or a sense of fulfillment from that and they'll be addicted to that um i mean that's where it leads uh when it gets more when it gets more deeply entrenched the deeper entrenched ego gets keep in mind how insatiable it is the more the more suffering is involved, fundamentally. Um, now, I mean, unless I mean, unless you want to suffer, that's unless that's truly your soul's choice. Um, probably not advisable. But you know, who am I to say what not to do? Right? I guess free will is ultimately part of reality, after all. Um, most egos have conflicting wants. They want different things at different times or may not or may not even know what they want except that they don't want what is, the present moment. Um, and I, this sort of, this is almost what you could say a madness that's normal. And that is something actually mentioned in um, a range of Eastern spiritualities such as Hinduism, Buddhism, and so forth. Even if they've become not what they originally were necessarily um yeah anyway so um yeah so unease restlessness boredom anxiety dissatisfaction are the result of an of unfulfilled wanting wanting is a, is structural so no amount of content can provide lasting fulfillment as long as that mental structure remains in place intense wanting that has no specific object can be can often be found in the still developing ego of teenagers, some of 
whom are in a permanent state of negativity and satisfaction. Though I don't think this is saying that, oh, most people are at a teenage level development per se, um, but that adults can have that as well, and about often do, especially at this point in time. But the reason, Eckhart Tyler does go into the reason for this is partly because before the ego, it is awakening, essentially. I don't know if he puts it that way, but when the ego is actually going to fall, it starts actually getting more active. Uh, so in a sense, humanity is going through a collective dark night of the soul, and that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, so it, the madness of the ego gets more intense before it fades. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, there is some more here, but I'm going to skip it. It does relate to the, it relates to corporations and their drive for profit, which is related to greed and ultimately being collective. They're, they're ultimately reflections of ego on a collective level, I suppose. They are, in a sense, egoic identities that compete with each other for more. Um, states do this too. Uh, kingdom to that. It, this has been something uh, we've seen historically a lot. Um, these uh, states or equivalents are essentially, you know, there's a monopoly of force in an area, but essentially it's people running it and it's their egos that are ultimately running it. It's all ego, right? Or at least that's how it's been for a long time. How it be in 5D is a different matter. So, yeah, then we'll get to the uh, the, uh, the things I was saying I've read before about this thought forms of me, mine, and more than, all right? So this is a context in which, um, apart from objects, another basic form of identification is with my body. Firstly, the body is male or female, and so the sense of being a man or a woman takes up a significant part of most people's sense of self. Gender becomes identity. Identification with gender is encouraged at an early age, and it forces you into a role, into conditioned patterns of behavior that affect all aspects of your life, not just sexuality. So, and I had a, a sort of, I don't know, you could say revelation or eureka or something, right? So. And I've been wondering, like, what's the new age like, the, or the, what's the answer or what's, what's an answer to the identity politics? That, the, let's say the, the identity politics of victimhood, let's say, um, when it comes to gender. Uh, and how that relates to the new age movement, so to speak, right? Because I have noticed that there's still, there is a prominent part of it, so to speak, that is, um, there's quite, there are people there definitely involved in it who are into uh, identity politics. And it does concern me on some, on some level, but I, I, I'm aware of, it's important not to judge and, Unity is important too. And, you know, so uh, the issue I have here is that, well, is it an issue? So the question is, 
This is what he's bringing up here. Gender becomes identity. And so we get taught, and let's say radical, radical feminists would be, a radical feminist would be very much acquainted with the idea that identification with gender is encouraged at an early age and it forces you into a role into conditioned patterns of behavior that affect all aspects of your life, not just sexuality. And they are very much focused on how that, the effects of that in society and what that does to us and how much suffering comes from that. And it's easy to scoff at that if you're not of that mindset. But if you are of that mindset, it, it's hard to understand those who aren't of that mindset and vice versa. It's a, it becomes a very dualistic thing at times. And I, I'm concerned with unity and how we can bridge divides. So especially when I see people who are new age, in New Age movement who are into identity politics, and I see people who are, who are, are kind of against it, right? And I see that and I'm like, I'm wondering, like, there must be a way to unify these opposites. So here's the thing. Here's the problem with it, potentially, is that when you identify as a woman, let's say, suppose you identify as a woman and identify as a victim based on being a woman in a patriarchy that inherently oppresses you by you being a woman, and you identify as men as being privileged and you identify as being underprivileged and a marginalized group and suppose you were to identify uh with all the women who've been burnt at stake or treated badly or what have you and the thing is that by identifying as a woman so much as with the egoic identity of being a woman and by engaging and identifying with the identity politics of radical feminism, even though radical feminism is, the idea is deconditioning people out of being forced into a role, into a box, the role of the gender identity, the gender, the gender role of being a woman and all the conditioning that comes into it, and also all the conditioning that goes into men and the suffering that that entails, is only entrenched by the identity politics that purports to oppose patriarchy. So basically, patriarchal patterns in society are only intensified by radical feminism. Radical feminism increases patriarchy and not just that when people people who feel attacked by the ideology let's say or by those ideas because not everyone you know, people that people might resist that they're, they're told oh there's something everything's wrong with gender that there's something that if you're a man that your privilege and everything is just there's a whole bunch of things or even a woman doesn't like the idea you know not everyone, if someone doesn't like radical feminism, which is quite a, 
it, it can be quite contentious for people, or at least some people can experience it that way. And when that happens, um, essentially, it creates a divide where women or even men involved in feminism feel threatened or feel the sense of identity with the movement and that there's a sense of women being oppressed and all this stuff with patriarchy. And there is perhaps rightly the, the um, awareness of how conditioning, gender-based conditioning causes suffering. Um, but then, then there's the reaction against that by people who feel threatened by identity politics and feel like this deep debilizing society. That, that's how conservatives feel. Uh, and that they are threatened or that you might lose a job or get treated badly or just get berated for, for, for not believing in it or expressing disagreement with it or just being a man or something. And that feeling is very much there. Now, maybe it could be dismissed and said, okay, that, that feeling doesn't matter. Uh, they're just bigots. Um, that judgment might be, could be expressed. You, you could make that judgment. The thing is like, um, it only creates a division and a, an, a dualism, a duality of two sides in opposition to each other, which only serves those who are opposed to unity. But um, unity ultimately is what we're going for. And unity doesn't involve that divide. And, and so it creates this issue here. So, okay, so if we're concerned about conditioning um, and the suffering that it brings, identity-based conditioning, but we don't want to identify with particular identities um, and ego, which are egoic. We don't want to be egoic, right? We want to increase our awareness of ego and gradually, or perhaps immediately, just um, be present and be at peace, like, for example, Eckhart Tolle is, because I don't think Eckhart Tolle suffers. He seems to think he has a great life. Uh, and that's what going through um, ego, ego death experiences can bring, whether it's one or several, whether it's achieved via some sort of gradually or some instant experience or whether it's DMT or whatever, right? Maybe I could have said that way more uh, concisely, but, you know, I was just saying as it comes to me. And I feel like it's important. I'm glad I managed to express that because... It's a, I've been pondering this for a while. Because um, I, I do feel it's important. And I, I need to move, I feel it's important to move on from my, because I was on the side, the dualistic side that was against uh, radical feminism, felt threatened by it. But you know, it doesn't matter what side you were on in it, but we can't be taking sides um, if we are to, Unify and be in love and be present and letting go of ego. Um, and given that it's not just, I mean, many of us in the New Age movement are concerned with being less egoic, and many of us aren't yet, well, we're still um, struggling with ego. 
um, uh, with me included. Um, so yeah, hopefully that helps. Um, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to disparage feminists per se. I, I'm just, we need to find a way of being aware of the problems of gender-based conditioning or, or race-based conditioning or what have you. But on the other hand, um, not be creating or intensifying dualism, I mean duality, um, and division and fear and conflict and ego in the process. So a focus, a perhaps a focus on ego and how identities of all kinds, including identity politics, are ego is fundamentally involved in how it's often done and in ego in identity. Um, perhaps that can help us decondition ourselves from all egoic identities, whether they are um and, and yeah, but but it's not just that. I, we don't need to deny that women have been treated badly, or that the people have been treated badly by authorities, or that slavery of of Africans occurred. Like we don't need to deny any of that. We can acknowledge what has happened without pointing fingers, without assigning victimhood or blame without creating a divide or oppressed groups and oppressor groups. And we can do that in a way that focuses on unity and on the insatiable e ego that's ultimately behind all of these, perhaps you could say ugly manifestations of ego and and all the negative emotions entailed so hopefully i've hopefully i've um communicated effectively the issue here and, and this applies to politics of all kinds as well or, or other identities but it also applies to politics and the political divides there and the sense of being a victim or being a or being in control or being saving people or whatever it may be <clears throat> um that are fundamentally just egoic identities and or a desire to have more materially or social status or what have you ego is involved in all of that and the more we can help aid people aid in the catalyzing of awareness of that, um, the, uh, the more we can do that, the more, well, that's, that's a way we can serve. And um, if you have um, enjoyed this, um, if you're listening on YouTube, please uh, feel free to subscribe and so forth. Uh, otherwise, well, 
I look forward to um, you tuning in again. Uh, so um, have a nice day and uh, bye for now.